Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. These books we gave out last week, and we love to give books out to people, but um, I, I know we already gave a lot of them out, but I know there's some people in the room that don't yet have one, and I know that you're one of those people. Kimberly, you have one, don't you? So if you can put your hand up, because, um, and uh, yeah, there. Yeah. I know the foots didn't get one. All the way in the back. Great. Oh. We don't have any more. He's gone looking in the back. We don't have any more back there. So sorry. We will buy some more. We really want to get that book into everybody's hands. Um, it's a really great book. It's on um, the prophetic. We've spent six months talking about the prophetic. And um, um, not every single Sunday, but on a lot of the Sundays, just really focusing on it. Because we are meant to be prophetic people. We're meant to be people who can hear the voice of Father, who's our very good loving Father and our very good friend and wants to do life with us every single day, close, in extreme close proximity. So the Bible says that we are supposed to be people who can hear and obey such that the slightest whisper of turn left, turn right. And we'd know the way to go. That he, he wants to lead us and be that connected to us. That he'd lead us so clearly and specifically every day. He's got um, great purpose and plans over our life. And the more we can just tune into his voice and hear his voice, um, the more free we are, the more confident we are, the more we understand who we are as his children, the more the righted identity happens on the inside of us. Um, anyway, that's a great book, and in a little while, in a few weeks, we'll start up uh, another Table Talk series on that, which is the Friday night. We just turn up at someone's house with a lot of food and just talk and sit around talking and praying about stuff, God's stuff. They're good nights. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. God, we just, we honour you. We honour you. You're the one in the room that we honour. You honour us by being here, but God, it's, it's your heart. It's you who we honour. I pray that even tonight, these words that I speak would be honouring to you, Jesus, honouring to the work of the cross, honouring to who you are, honouring to uh, your presence in our life. God, I pray, teach us all how to honour you and how to um, live with you um, so beautifully every single day. I just pray, Lord, that the words that I speak would hit hearts, the, only the words you want to hit hearts that I speak. Your words, I pray that they would hit the hearts and anything else would just fall off that's unnecessary. In Jesus' name, God, you have your way in our lives. God, your words, your word says that your words will accomplish your will in the earth. And so anything that's being said here tonight, I pray it would accomplish your, your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I do need a drink, so, oh, here. It's only because when you sing, well, I think I do anyway. Just drink a lot. Can you open that for me? Um, I um, had my birthday yesterday, um, and Clayton had his this week, but I know there's a few other people that had their birthdays. In the last two or three weeks, there's been quite a few birthdays. Marguerite, you, turned, you had your 50th, right? That's a pretty amazing, is that right? Am I saying you're older? So there's been some really great birthdays this past couple of weeks, and I really, like, we get sung too, but... I, I would I'd like to sing to everybody <laughs> and say happy birthday to everybody. Um, it's nice to be celebrated. You know, it is nice to know that people love you. It's nice to know that um, um, you're cared about and thought about and valued. And that's, you know, so birthday is a good time for that. But let's be people who do that anyway every day. <laughs> Just honour people and honour honor God in them. Because when someone turns up into your life, any person, doesn't matter who they are, by the way, any person turns up into your life. Jesus, is, if they're a Christian, Jesus is residing on the inside of them. The Holy Spirit is residing on the inside of them. And so the moment someone turns up into your life like that, there should be this automatic ability in you to see son, daughter, child, God of heaven, and then value this person because God's on the inside. Jesus even said, anything you do for the least of these you've done for me. It's because God is on the inside of every single one of us, isn't he? Right? Now, I'm not 
saying don't do that for people who don't know Jesus. All the more for people who don't know Jesus, we should be kind and loving and be able to give dignity and be able to love people because the kindness of God is what brings people into kingdom anyway. It is what leads people to repentance. And so when we can love people and show great dignity and great value and great worth for them, this is what changes a person and leads them to repentance. Repentance is the doorway to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is, but it's through repentance. Amen? Okay, I don't have um, the screens. Clayton's more organised than I am. <laughs> but I actually like using Bible anyway. So you're going to use a Bible with me tonight. <laughs> oh, some of you can cheat and use Google. Uh, open up your Bibles to um, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I'm going to read a couple of, quite a few verses. And one of the verses you'll stick out because you'll have heard it before uh, uh, talked about a lot, but I'm going to start with verse 1, 2 Chronicles 7 verse 1. So Solomon finished praying. Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory had filled it just want to say that again. They couldn't enter the temple because the glory of the Lord had come in and filled the temple. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their hands and their faces to the ground. They worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. The king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. Actually, skip down now to... Um, Verse eight. So Solomon, they just they gave a lot of they gave a lot of sacrifices. They brought a lot of the, their own wealth, their own personal wealth. They brought and sacrificed before the Lord. Verse eight. So Solomon observed the festival at that time for seven days, and all of Israel with him, a vast assembly of people. Um, verse nine. On the eighth day, so this is seven days worth of sacrifices, worship, nonstop. Uh, party on the one hand, but worship that was just non-stop going through the night for seven days. On the eighth day, they held an assembly for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for the seven days in the festival for the seven days more. Oh, 14 days. I can't do math. I'm sleep deprived. I told you that. So, sorry. Verse 10, on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for all of the people of Israel. Verse 11, when Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all that he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord, the Lord appeared to him in the night and said, I have heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place for myself as a temple. Now, I'm just going to stop and read 12 again. The Lord appeared to him at night and said... So, it's not really the emphasis of the message necessarily, but I do want to explain. We're reading a couple of verses and already we've seen the glory, the presence show up and the Lord appearing in person to Solomon in the Bible. Our Bible, from the front page to the last page, is full of these kinds of manifestations of the Lord showing up, of him showing up to people and speaking to people and making himself known, manifestly known in, 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 in relationship with them, right? Now, if we can read this on, on almost every single page in the Bible, don't you think if the Bible is making this normal, it should be our normal? Like, why can we read in the Bible of all of these amazing moments where God shows up and speaks to this person and God shows up and speaks to that person or an angel turned up and opened up a jail? Why, why can we dismiss that in our Western culture because we're so smart now in these days? Why can we so easily dismiss that and just put that aside as if that wasn't a normal part of God reaching his people? We can't. 
God normalizes this in the Bible. God normalizes him speaking to his people. He normalizes himself turning up in manifest ways that are strong and undeniably real. The God of heaven showing up in front of person and person after person, speaking to them, giving them um, instructions on battle, instructions on building. This is temple. Instructions on how to lead people, instructions on their own life, instructions on how to preach. He showed up again and again into people's lives. And he did not, he was not afraid of doing that. He didn't hide himself. He didn't make himself um, obscure, hard to find. It was very normal for him to just show up and speak. And it was even really normal for people to hear and listen and obey. (laughs) The stories that we hear mostly, not always, the stories that we hear in the Bible are of the obedience. The person, prophet, leader, priest, king, they'd hear, hear him get a message and run with it. They just do it. We hear of other history. We hear of the history of um, revival and then rebellion and revival and rebellion. We hear of that story. But I mean the, the individual characters, David, of the, one of the best that you remember quickly and easily, Moses, hearing God showing up, hearing him and running with his message, right? The Bible normalizes this really normalizes it. If you can go through the book of Acts, and there's not a single chapter in the book of Acts that doesn't have someone saying, an angel said this, the Holy Spirit said this, and I just had to go and do it. Right? This is normal. Anyway, moving on. That was verse 12. So, yeah, verse 13. God said, when I shut up the heavens... So there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send plague among the people. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I'm going to read those two verses again. If my people, that's you and me. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Oh, 16. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So the verse specifically is that I wanted to talk about is verse 14, and a part of the verse actually is where it says, seek my face. Um, the whole of our purpose in life is that we be people who seek his face daily, seek him daily, above and beyond all other things. Jesus said in Matthew 33, um, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. All of these things were all of the verses that he talked before that, which were, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to clothe myself? All of the worries and concerns of this world, God is very aware that we need to pay our bills. God is very aware that we need food for our bodies, right? And it's not that we don't give attention to those things, but those things cannot take the place of our seeking God. First, foremost, vital as the thing, his breath in my lungs. If he were to take it away, I would die in front of you like that. His breath is what sustains us. As I was seeking first, seeking his face. So in the Old Testament, they don't have a word for presence that we would understand God's presence with, but they do say doing life before the face of God or face to face with God. They have another word, maybe you've heard it, Shekinah, meaning Shekinah glory, the glory of God, when the manifest presence of glory would turn up in a cloud, they could see it with their eyes. They called that the Shekinah glory. But, but all of the Israelites that understood the language of the, the Hebrew language understood that every single one of them, whether they were living in right relationship to God or not, every single one of them understood what it meant to be a person who lives face to face in front of God every single day. Uh, one of the first things that happened here this afternoon before we started practicing, um, like we started setting up at three o'clock and prayed with the team, worship team, um, I had, knowing I was speaking about this, I think God is really good because he's, he's the God of set up, I think. Um, I had a vision right as we started praying 
Um, and it was the face of Jesus that was first over the top of this building, much, much bigger than the building, his shoulders and his face over the top of this building. But it was almost like um, seeing... Sometimes when you see a vision, you get like a big zip file download of revelation of what it means. But sometimes you just see a vision and you don't really know why. Does that make sense? So God can do whatever he wants and we just got to be people who respond, okay? But this time I saw his face and I knew it was as a face of affirmation over our, our family, our, our family here. And, and so, and then as I kept looking and I just kept praying and then I saw, if it was me or just anybody here really, his face, which was giant, giant face, this about this big and the little person about like the size of your thumb compared to his face, just his face before you even get to his neck was massively giant and a person was standing right in front of his face, very, very close, almost touching the nose, not his nose, our nose. Now, I'm saying this, I'm explaining this so you can understand. We stand face to face in the presence of God every single day. Some people get flipped out and weirded out and run away and hide knowing that or if people talk about that. There is something inside some people who just makes them want to shrink and cower and run away from understanding that we're called to live in this place in great freedom. In the, the thing that causes you to want to run away and hide can be a number of things. But you know one of the primary things? If I just live with tolerating willful sin in my life. It is the primary reason where if I know that I'm face to face, it's going to be the thing that's going to cause me to draw back and pull away from his face. He never pulls his face away from us. We're the ones that pull away. We're the ones that turn, isolate, because... We understand I'm not living right and I can't be in presence like that because of the shame or the fear or the anxiety or the depression that the sin in my life is creating. A lot of anxiety and a lot of depression is related to sin. Nothing more. The Psychiatry Association of America, what's it called? Association of... Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, they've come out with statistics and they have said that it's almost as high as 90% of all depression, even though people don't want to know this. They, the psychiatry, what is it, association, American Association of Psych, no, association, Clayton, no, the psychiatric one, not, not, not the psychology, the psychiatric side, which is the PhD psychiatric. Anyway, I'm sorry. 90% <laughs> of depression in America, in the West, is purely a result of people's thinking. Only 10%, and maybe there's a bit of wiggle room, 3% three, three either way, 13%, 7%. Only 10% of it is really because there's a broken, broken brain. Now, I can break my leg, so I can break a bone, right? So we can see I've broken my leg. But some people really do have a broken issue in their brain. But 90% of people taking medicine for depression is because of an unrenewed mind. An unrenewed heart, by the way. Our mind is connected so with our heart. But really for the Christian, they have, we have no reason to live with this. The only reason a Christian is living with anxiety and depression and issues like this is because there's not freedom to come before the face of God freely and stand there and receive his affirmation, receive his love, receive him saying, as he said over Jesus, this is my son in whom I am well pleased at the moment when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and the Holy Spirit came out of heaven and a voice also from heaven that said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. If I have sin in my life, I can't hear the father's voice over me saying, I am well pleased with you. It's not that he wouldn't be saying it. It's that I know I'm living a life that is counter and contrary to the life that he wants me to live. I'm, I'm tolerating areas in my life that, that he would really rather me get rid of. And not in a legalistic way. Never in a legalistic way. If I start to do it legalistically, then I'm just setting up my own version of religion. In a way that allows the Holy Spirit to just come and shine a light in my heart that just goes, I, I'm just going to convict, bring some conviction Conviction is Holy Spirit given. It is empowerment to stop 
the habit, to stop the sin. Condemnation is from the enemy. That brings shame. That brings the fear. That brings the wanting to run and cower, run away and hide from God, okay? The, the Holy Spirit conviction in us is a godly sorrow for sin, a godly sorrow such that I want to turn away from that because repent means turn away. Or it means change my thinking and go the other way, run away from where the, the original thing I was running to, which is we're talking about sin, you run away, away from it. And it's the Holy Spirit in our lives that enables us to do that. He empowers us. Grace, grace, one of the words, meanings of grace is the Spirit's empowerment in us on the inside to get up and go and do the things that God has called us to do. That includes in that place of godly sorrow and repentance for sin, letting it go, putting it down and walking away. And he's the one who enables that in us. He's not in heaven. He's not harsh God in heaven waiting to strike us with lightning bolts and mad at us. He's he's not. But he very definitely wants incredible close relationship with us that we could be people that could stand before his presence. Like the vision I had of massive, massive God, because he is so massive, yet also so incredibly intimate and personal with us, okay? But massive, powerful God who put the sun in its place and it hasn't stopped shining, <laughs> right? So he is, he's so powerful and when we can stand in front of his presence and receive his love into our heart and his affirming words, well done, daughter, I love you, daughter, well done. He wants to speak and have incredible intimate relationship with you and have personal encouragement that'll put um, incredible strength into your life. David said, God is the strength in my heart. Because David was a man who knew. He was a man who really sinned and messed up a lot. But he was a man who knew what it meant to be a repentant person. As soon as Holy Spirit, as soon as God, or sometimes sent a leader, a prophet, hey, you messed up, David. David would be like, oh, that's right, I did it again. And he did it again and again. He messed up again and again. But he had a humble heart that would just go, I'm sorry. And it was godly sorrow, not just fake, I'm sorry. You know, fake, I'm sorry. We know as humans, God knows all the more. (laughs) God knows way, way more. He knows every thought in our heart before we have it even. And so the godly sorrow for sin, that ability in us to just want to let go of the stuff that would hinder the relationship that we have with him is what I'm talking about. Humility, humility to just go, Actually, that verse says it, doesn't it? 16? Yeah, 14, sorry. Humble themselves. My people, who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves. This is actually a Bible verse speaking to people who are already in kingdom. My people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and repent of their wicked ways. He's talking to the church because we have some things that we should really submit and surrender over to him and sometimes it can be as benign and I say benign but not in a good way because it's not good it can be gossip it can be lying it can be just that excuses that I make constantly for myself to not really give up the stuff that God wants me to give up we easily I'll say too easily go oh it's the sexual perversion oh it's the getting drunk yeah, we know. We know that's sin, all the big obvious stuff. But we fewer times do we catch ourselves when we say something in a way that's negative, a gossipy, slanderous over someone else. That's the same. God counts it the same. He doesn't say this sin over here is worse than that sin over there. He just says it's all sin. It's all under the blood when you submit it to me. If it's not submitted, if it's not repented of, it sits in us and shame then from the enemy, comes and sits and covers us. That's what shame does. In the spirit, covers us like a dark, wet blanket. Covers us. The clothing that we're meant to wear is Christ, his righteousness. We all have him in our life. He he, resides in our heart. That's a given. The minute you give your life to Christ, he comes, he fills you with himself. You're his. But we still sometimes... Um, live with these habits and sometimes the habits can be a bit more addictive so they're a bit hard to kick and we do need more help sometimes the habits aren't because it's addictive it's just because I'm willfully not giving it up 
That's the stuff I really want to, I'm trying to go after here. If I willfully decide, well, I know this is sin. If I just use the example of gossip, because Proverbs actually talks a lot about it. I know this is sin, but it just tickles my ears. Proverbs says that gossip goes in like a juicy thing deep into the belly and it tickles the ears, right? Because it makes us feel good, right? When we talk about someone else, we can forget our own stuff. That's gross, really, but that's what happens. So if, if, I, if I just have this willfulness, well, I, I know I shouldn't do this, but, but sitting around the kitchen table talking about people negatively and slandering their reputation, it'll be all right. It's all under the blood. Holy Spirit actually just moves away from a life that willfully, determinedly will not give up sin. Jesus, he still stays with us. We're still saved. We can be saved, right? And, and just not live with a big amount of relationship, blocked, hindered relationship. And the pro- there's a lot of reasons, but the primary reason is because we just haven't let go of the things that he's asking us to let go of. I'm going to pick on one example, um, um, uh, pornography. And now here's why. It is a struggle, not just men, women too, you know, I understand more men, but here's why I'm going to use this as an example. It's a great example for pornography because everybody has an iPhone these days. I don't, oh, mine's here. Everybody has access to anything at any time they want. Um, there, I, I don't know that any, there's any, been any young generation has come that has had um, it blasted into their face every single day, like our, our kids that are being raised right now. And so we should be praying for our kids. We should be praying that they have such a sensitivity to God and want to live cleanly before him that they, if anything comes before their eyes, they quickly set it aside. That's the way. That's the way is just to go, no, <laughs> resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So the minute, the minute, the minute something comes across a, a social media app, whatever, the minute that happens is just for our ability to rise up and even with our kids pray um, that they would quickly just go, no, I don't, I don't want that because I want Jesus. I want relationship with Jesus. He is who is vital in my life. This stuff is so temporary. So but I'm going to pick on this because here's why. Um, there are people, it's addictive. This is addictive pornography. There is an addiction cycle with pornography that a person actually needs a lot more help to get rid of. They might really want to kick it and there could be a lot of godly sorrow for it and there would be the wanting to separate yourself from it. And I champion that. There is no shame, by the way, if you come to leaders here and ask for help with that because we already have quite a few people who've done that. Um, so, but, uh, so there's no shame for that. It's the wanting to get rid of that is fantastic. Holy Spirit champions that. It's the other side when... The habit is here, and it's just willful. Yeah, I know it's bad, but I'm going to keep doing it, going to keep doing it, going to keep doing it. It's one thing to have temptation and to sometimes slip into it. It's a whole other thing to just go, I'm, I'm all the way over here willfully doing this thing, willfully sinning, willfully looking at this stuff, willfully. So, so there's never any... Um, um, Shame or condemnation for a person who, who, who's in this family. If you go to someone else in this family and just say, look, I'm struggling with this. I want some help. And I'm going to ask you to be someone who'll keep it confident. We want incredible confidentiality. Don't blab just because you know something about someone. But if you bring something to someone and um, there's, that, there's that, that heart that just wants to walk before the Lord very openly willingly obedient, willingly wanting to kick uh, uh, an addiction thing like pornography that I've mentioned. I mean, there's a whole, I could stand here naming a lot of things. I won't. Um, I want to talk about a few things, though, before. Um, I'm talking about the seeking God's face, right? And we're talking about his presence. We're talking about the, it being normalized in the Bible, him turning up into people's lives in visions, in dreams, in manifest real presence in front of you. I'm talking, we're talking about all that stuff. But, but um, I, don't know, I don't know everybody's story here, but I, I have a few stories and maybe some of you have similar. Uh, one time when I was, actually, I'm, I'm 49. So when I was 23, 24, back in the early 90s, I had a, um, 
I had a moment where we were with uh, a youth, it was just a youth camp, and I was just one of the youth leaders, and I was sitting probably in the second row, I don't even remember exactly, um, um, and there was probably only 50 people, it wasn't big, it was 50 people youth camp, and so we were going to have praise and worship, and someone was going to just teach or preach for a little while, and the kids were just all just going to play for the rest of the afternoon. Kids, they were not, I, I say kids now, 18-year-olds, uh, 17-year-olds, and people my age. Um, so we're sitting in this, we're sitting, I just, I came into the room early and um, I just am that person, I just want to show up because I'll just sit there praying or whatever, just be in the presence because I want to, I want to start affecting the atmosphere before anybody else gets there. So I was just sitting in the room and I just started weeping, crying, I didn't really know why. <laughs> so, and um, just, you know, sometimes you cry and you know why. You're like, because you're upset about something. So it's obvious and you're crying. This, this, I was just praying in tongues and I was just sitting there and just weeping, just going, oh. And it was increasing and increasing and increasing. And people started walking in. Some people who were doing music started walking in. They should have been on the stage and they should have been about to get up and start worship, um, actual singing and leading everybody else in worship. But the more people just, everybody else was just rolling in out of breakfast and, and everybody ended up just sitting down like on the floor or rolling, like lying down on the face down on the carpet because as time went on, this went on for three hours, as time went on, the room, the heaviness, I mean in a positive way, not a negative way, the heavy, heavy, strong presence of God filled up in that room. You could barely breathe. And so the weeping, I was crying, but then I started laughing. And for three hours, it was just this constant rolling, like a wave of laughter and a wave of tears. And to the point where the people who were going to stand on the stage and sing couldn't. And the, peop the person um, was Joel, Joel Abel. Uh, the person who was going to preach, he couldn't. He just, he sat down next to me. He's like, what is going on? I don't know, but I like it. <laughs> and um, it was just the presence of God and everybody just really enjoyed it. And I don't know why he did that. Sometimes he just does stuff. Sometimes we know, sometimes there's great purpose in it. Sometimes it's just to bless us. And there's so much mystery in that. So let's not be the kind of people that just have to have the answer for every single thing, every single time. Sometimes he gives us the answer because we need it. Um, sometimes he doesn't give the answer for his own reasons or maybe because we're too analytical and he just doesn't want to because he's a little bit teasy and he's quite humorous so he just does things because he wants to make us laugh. Anyway, just fast forwarding to another story that happened. When we first moved into this space here, we had a man that came and joined us the first week and I know this man, I have a history with him for 10 years um, he came and um, he came one Sunday and um, I know his whole life, I know his whole story because I've known him for 10 years, but he came in and I just started praying like, Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with this man here, but um, he's, he's absolutely welcome here, or everybody is, but what, how's he going to respond to presence? The second week he came and because sometimes the presence of God is very strong in our meetings and other times not so much, you don't feel incredible weight. But this second week he was there, Holy Spirit rushed into the room in a very powerful way. It, it changed the whole atmosphere. And this man picked up his son and went running out the door, left. Now, I don't know what that makes a lot of people in here think, if, you can, if you're wondering about it. It's because this man I know was living with unconfessed sin and he had talked to leaders and he didn't want to give it up. He wanted, it's that, you know, the cultural Marxism that's so prevalent in society right now. There's, I'm going to live my life anyway and you've just got to love me, you can't judge me. It's, it's all that is Marxism, it's cultural Marxism through school system, through edu education, through um, universities, through, and it's just, it's raised people now in their 20s and 30s and 40s who just go, you've got to love me the way I am. Otherwise, you're not a Christian and you don't love well, right? You've heard that. We've all heard that. It's not that we don't love. Love everyone, but God loves us more than we can ever understand. But because he loves us, doesn't want us to stay the same. 
He doesn't want us to stay with the old bad habits that he knows is wrecking us, bringing anxiety into us, bringing depression onto us, bringing incredible shame onto us that is pushing us down. Depression, depress, press down. It's, it's called depression because it presses down on the inside, in the internal, internal person of who we are. The Holy Spirit inside us lives, resides inside our spirit, human spirit, that is crushed and pushed down. The word anxiety actually means a tearing apart, a renting apart. That happens because we are living with things in our life that we shouldn't. It's not judging to say this. It's loving because we want people free. We want people so free, so free to, first of all, receive love from Father into our own life, into our own heart. That's what sets us free. The more we can uh, uh, receive it, But then once we're receiving it and he's changing us and he's healing us and he's fixing all the broken things in us, we have got to get up and go and show the world who he is. And this is what it's about, is a broken Christian who has unyielded areas in their life cannot shine the light of Christ out of them because there's very little light flowing into them. Do you know, so if I I have a flashlight and I hold the flashlight over this, like... Who knows it casts a great big shadow here on this side of the pulpit, right? You understand how a shadow is created? Flashlight coming in is just going to block all of the light so it casts a shadow. That's what sin does in our life. So if I have areas that I just won't let go of, it just casts all kinds of shadows in my life, in my world, in, in, in the internal. You know, our, our internal world, it's like a universe in here. If I, if I just have these areas in me that I won't let go of, the light of God that wants to so shine so bright and burn brightly in me and then get out so that the world can see who Jesus is through me, I have shadowy areas that limit that. And this is the point. God loves us so much. He wants us to be so incredibly free and so incredibly uh, loved and so incredibly filled with his light. And that is what it means to be an overcoming Christian. An overcoming Christian is just someone who has let go of everything. They've actually let Jesus overcome them. They've let Jesus overcome all of the stuff in them. They've let Jesus overcome all of the negativity, all of the willfulness, the self-ego protecting They've let Jesus overcome that in them. And because they have, their life is just filled with light. As Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he wants us to live as he did, being lights. He's the light in us. We are not the light. But we shine his light when we just allow him to have his way fully in us. Like hold nothing back. I don't know what time it is. 6.40. I'm going to tell you another story. Henry Groover. Have you heard of Henry Groover? He's new to me too, but he's about, I think he might be like in his 70s, but he's, 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 a, he's a church leader, a minister here in America. Uh, I heard this uh, beautiful testimony of his. He told five different stories. I'm just going to tell you one. Um, he told this story of he was going to preach in a very big church here in America, on the West Coast actually, and he, he was going to preach and he was just the guest speaker. So uh, he doesn't know a lot of the people there. He's standing in worship and the congregation is singing a song, show me, like, show me Your Glory with the lyrics. We want your glory, show us your glory. Henry Groover said this. He said, I'm standing there in the service and felt, felt someone yell at me. Tell them to stop. <laughs> he didn't know. He goes, he turned around, there was no one there. And he was a bit confused. The song's going on and the chorus gets sung again. I want your glory, give us your glory. I want your glory, send us your glory. And he hears, hears this voice again. Tell them to stop. <laughs> so, loud, loud. And he's looking around again and he starts checking, was there someone behind me? Is there someone around the, like, because he's right on the edge so he could like look around the doorway. There's no one around. And the third time, it was the Holy Spirit that he realized. And because he listened, he was waiting and he listened. And he realized it was the Holy Spirit saying, tell them to stop. Because they're calling out and crying out for my glory, for my presence. And half the people in here would drop dead. Because they're living with, with, with lives of unrepentant sin. My people, Christians, tolerating sin in their own life. Living with it and thinking that I'm okay with it. 
And so Henry Groover, little guest speaker in this, doesn't know anybody, gets up. This worship is going on. He gets up and he jumps up on stage. It's actually the Crystal Cathedral. Have you ever heard of the Crystal Cathedral? Gets up on the stage. And so all, now all these people who, it's their church, are going, what is he doing? Does he not know songs are still going on? He's not supposed to preach uh, yet. <laughs> so he just is looking and like, like weekly, <laughs> I'm sure knock knees, going, you've got to stop. <laughs> and, and, you know, breaks on worship. It stopped. And then he just said, I'm not going to preach. I've only come here to tell you, stop singing these songs because if you don't repent of your sin, you'll drop dead if God gives you the glory like you're crying out for. And with that, he didn't know what was going to happen. With that, the presence of God fell in that place. And for the next three hours, the second service didn't go on. For the next three hours, people just were in the aisles, in their chairs, weeping, crying, repenting. Great, great repentance happened. And then a lot of freedom came into that church. And that's, that's a pretty big moment, I think. Like, if you, they're pretty bold to just get up in a church that's not yours, stop worship, and just say, repent. <laughs> so you better be hearing from God, right? <laughs> so thank God that he was obedient. Anyway, another story. We had another man who I really love, who's part of his family here. He's not here this week. He's on vacation. There's another man, and he's been with us, I don't know, maybe nine months. Um, I've known him since he was a young teenager, and he, he came into our church. He felt the Holy Spirit say, you, I, I want you to go to Seashore and be part of that church. And he, just, he was not really connected in another church in a big way, but he has family members that have a church. So he was just kind of going there because it's easy rather than hearing the Holy Spirit say where he should be, right? So he finally turned up here one Sunday. And uh, he didn't tell me and Clayton this for a couple of weeks but he turned up here one Sunday, and we were like, oh, hi, the service is going on. Um, but he said that when worship started, he said he, he, the Holy Spirit, he knew that the presence of God was telling him he had two options. Humble yourself. He, he said, I knew I could humble myself or I had to get out and leave. He could feel God, the presence of God, and his own heart aligning with what God wanted him to do, such that he knew he was presented with the two options. I can humble myself or I can leave and never come back. He stayed. <laughs> I'm really glad. Yeah, you can clap. <laughs> but So I, I'm, I'm using these examples so you can understand is what the presence of God really can do in a person. You can be given the two options. You're given the option, repent, or you're given the option, harden your heart and willfully live with unconfessed areas and the areas of sin that the Holy Spirit's been asking you just to give up. We all have these choices. Sometimes every single day, it can be that frequent. It's not always, but um, some, of the, some of the little stuff, like, you know, just the gossip, it's not little, it's all sin. God doesn't measure it, but we do. Um, we all have the choices every single day. It's just humble myself because I want God because I want his presence, because I value his relationship with me over any other, because I want him and I set my heart, I intention my heart on loving him, on knowing him, on giving everything to him. So, so that choice, or just play church. A lot of people are very good at this and convince a lot of people around them very well in America, a lot of people can speak the, speak the speak, talk the talk, have all the right scriptures to say. It's a Christianized nation here. So people know the gospel, but they're not living it, but they can tell you what it is. So people have become very good with all of the religious right-sounding speech. And a lot of people around them can be very convinced that their life looks good, must be good, right? But God is not mocked. God knows. God sees and knows. Um, it's a Bible verse in Isaiah 59, verse 2. Your sins have hidden his face from you. That's a scary verse for me. Your sins have hidden his face 
from you. It's not that his face isn't there. It's I become unaware that it's there. I become unable to see anymore. I become unable to hear anymore. I become unable to respond to his loving me because I have lived and allowed myself just to continue in a life that is contrary to what he wants. And it's not, you know, stuff can be different from all of us. And it's not even big stuff. As I mentioned, sometimes it can just be, I just haven't been able to, um, not that I haven't been able to, I haven't been willing to allow him to purify what comes out of my mouth. I'm using gossip again as the example, right? And so it's the, it's the willfulness to not allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit to come in and change and give up the stuff. See, the Holy Spirit wants us to be so free. I've mentioned the, the light shining in us and the freedom that we have when we confess and what repentance means to have a change of mind and walk the other way. The freedom God wants for us is the place where, you know, it's that verse, it's um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No, that's not the verse, but that's a verse. It's a good one. Um, joy. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my... I can't remember the verse. <laughs> Sorry. Down in my heart, I've got the joy. What is the verse? You know you have something on the back of the mental Rolodex back here? For those old people? <laughs> Pre-device days? Joy. You're still singing that song. You were helping me out. Thank you. <laughs> it's like it giving me some time here to think of what that Bible verse was. <laughs> so, um, I can't remember the verse. Righteousness. The, the, where the Spirit of God is... There is joy, peace, right? Mm, Clayton's looking at me like, move on. Stop it. I can't move on. I have to say the verse. Okay. Oh, help me. Jesus. That was a groan. You know, the Bible talks about groaning prayer. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Stupidly. Now it's time to move on. I'll tell you another story. Smith Wigglesworth. <laughs> Smith, w- <laughs> Smith Wigglesworth um, had a prayer meeting. And I think there were like 15 or 20 men in the prayer meeting. And um, the, when the prayer meeting started, the, the, they were all just sitting like in a couple of pews sitting together praying. And after a while, he hadn't started praying yet and the other people had just prayed some prayers. And Smith, was, Smith started praying and the person who told this story, this is not, it's the second person telling the story, writing about it, said he was surprised to start seeing um, the other men in the room just get up and go leave. And he started going, why are they leaving? And Smith kept praying. We're on a first name basis, me and Smith. <laughs> Smith kept praying. I just tell stupid dope jokes, running jokes, because it's a narrative in my head that is constant, by the way. So I do apologise. I know <laughs> a lot of them don't make sense to anybody but me, but it's entertaining for me. <laughs> so. So Smith, he was um, praying and he just intensely praying, but the presence of God was on his prayers such that these men couldn't stay in, in, the, in the presence of a praying man. And so they just got up one by one and left. And even the man who's, who wrote the story said, eventually I had to get up and leave too. It was too intense. There was conviction on me and I had to leave. One week later, the next scheduled prayer meeting they're all there again. And this, the man who wrote the story said, this time I came in going, I am not going to leave. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pin myself to the chair. I'm not going to leave. No matter what happens, I'm sitting in my chair. I don't care if I get killed in the presence of God. Smith starts praying. Men start leaving. He's sitting there hanging on to the pew, hanging on. I'm not leaving. Smith's still praying and eventually he had to leave. <laughs> third time, third time, Smith prayed, but the men had realised they needed to get rid of some stuff in their lives, and so they just prayed and repented, and they were fine. In the Azusa Street Revival, 1906 to 1909, three years of revival, there's a story, oh, well, there's lots of stories. If you buy books about that, that time period, it's so fantastic, um, um, I have some, actually. I'll bring them next week. I'll probably have five. So if you're the first person, I only have five. So be quick. Say, give me that book. Um, there's a story, though, of uh, um, uh, what's Seymour. What's his name? Seymour. Henry, what's his first name? 
Huh? Seymour is his last name. Anyway, so Seymour, I just feel weird saying Seymour. Um, Seymour is the man really who had prayed it in and God used to really facilitate the revival. Um, a lot of other people were involved too, so it's not to put them aside or down. But uh, William Seymour, um, so William was, um, he, he almost never left this building and he was always there, he was always praying, and he was always um, not, they didn't, they really didn't have a stage like this, they deliberately made the room so that it wasn't like a very um, obvious, this is the front person up here, standing up here, as if this person's the most important person in the room, because they realised if they do that, it's God, the attention goes off God, and so they made the room, designed the room so that it was more circular, and people who, um, would come in and they would just pray and just sit in the presence of God. The presence of God was sometimes so thick, um, kids ended up coming with bottles, with a screw top lid, they'd try and catch part of the cloud, screw the lid on, take it home and hope that the cloud was still in the bottle the next day. Literal stories. These are the first hand eyewitness accounts, right? And um, one story is of a little girl, she was, who was her parents, would take her a lot of the nights and she'd a lot of the time just fall asleep but sometimes she'd wake up and the presence of God was so thick and she could see it and would dance around and kick around a cloud that would just kind of sit around like a like a visible gold or white cloud of glory in this Azusa Street revival. Anyway so uh, William Seymour and there was another woman who was uh, one of the worship people. These two people almost never left and they said this it was a very open mic type situation. People could come. If they had a word from God or if they knew that they had to lift up some worship and sing, uh, they would just sing and um, someone would lead it. And it was very open so anybody could just get up and sing. Seymour and this woman knew every single time. So of a lot of other people. But Seymour and this woman said this. Anytime anybody got up in the pulpit to have a word, prophetic word, preach, say some kind of encouraging scriptures, um, lead a song, it became, the presence of God was so real, it became really obvious and you could see on the person their pure motive or their impure motive. Imagine that. Imagine the presence of God so much in a place. I, I, I pray about this. I pray that we would have it here. But imagine the presence of God so powerful in a place that if a person standing up in front of you like this gets up in their own strength, in their own agenda, with their own motive, just stands up arrogantly, by the way, lifting up their own heart against God. That's what this is um, that I'm describing. The person who's arrogantly lifting themselves up to get attention on me, focus off God, attention on me, you could see it on their physical body and they would either realise it themselves because conviction would hit them and they'd embarrassingly put their microphone, oh, they didn't have a microphone, they'd either sit down, just walk away and sit back down and go repent. They had a repentance room. <laughs> so they'd go to the repent, literally, <laughs> it was up on the second floor. Um, so they'd go off to the repentance room and go and get right again with God before they really came back down to the main meeting. And I just think, I love that story because cause I... I, I I don't know about everybody in the room, but I'm the kind of person that I, I, if we can be brutally honest with ourselves before God, and allow, when I say brutal, I mean do not leave any undone thing in your heart before him, right? So that every motive, every agenda has been, um, been given up to him, so that every thought, good or bad, even that is just all surrendered up. The most internal and deep part of who you are is just surrendered, and there's nothing held back. That's what I mean by brutal honesty with your own life and your own heart before the Lord. Oh. I've just pursued that. And I pray that we would be a community of people who would pursue that. Where our whole lives would be the pursuit of... Oh, I that our whole lives would be so given over, literally like the breath would leave our lung, our lungs, and, and we'd have no more left if we were to walk in the different direction, the, the direction that he wants us to go in. I'm sorry. I have to read another Bible verse. <laughs> Psalm 27, verse 8. I'm going to read two 
versions. I'm going to read the New King James Version. It says, um, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. I'm sorry, I'm having a moment, I know. Uh, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your, you, Lord, your face I will seek. And this verse became one of my verses in, in about 1993, 1994, because um, what's required of you to live life like this, God blesses. God really blesses the heart that is just turned to him and that has held nothing back. Like nothing, nothing back. So Psalm 27 verse 8 in the Amplified this time. You have said, seek my face. Inquire for and require my presence as your vital need. My heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, will I seek. Inquire for and require of necessity and on, of, on the authority of your word. Um, Do you know in Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist said of um, Jesus, or he said of himself, I baptise you with water. But he said of Jesus, one will come who will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. It doesn't say fire in, in, in other versions. It just says with the Holy Spirit and power, or, but fire in, in Matthew. The fire of God is what purifies us. Fire burns up everything in us that's not of God. Fire is like representing his purity and his holiness. And um, we can get baptised in the Holy Spirit and pray in tongues and do church for quite a few years and not really experience his power or his strong presence because we haven't allowed his fire to burn away the stuff out of our hearts and our lives that he wants to burn away. And um, that's what I want to invite us to do tonight. If we can just be the people that will just allow the fire to fall on our hearts, the fire to fall on um, your life, every part of it, holding nothing back. Sometimes there's a cost, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes the repentance process is a painful process. Not always, because I think really on the other end of repentance is joy that you cannot, unspeakable, as the Bible says, joy unspeakable. On the other side of repentance and the giving up, the cost, the paying the price and the cost and the giving up of the stuff that we, we comfortably live with, the... Um, what we get in exchange is just so much greater. The joy unspeakable that no matter what you're going through, no matter what situation or circumstance, no matter how hard, the joy in your life becomes the thing that sustains you because you've not held anything back. And so um, I'm going to explain why I'm shaking. <laughs> I, um, I know some of you know because I've said to explain it sometimes. Um, and there's other people in, this, in the meeting that have experienced this, I know. Um, but um, the best way I can explain it is like adrenaline shakes. You know what adrenaline shakes feel like? But I know that when the anointing of the Holy Spirit falls in the room, I start doing this. And sometimes I'm doing it in a pulpit. Sometimes I'm doing it sitting in a pew. Sometimes I'm doing it praying for someone for healing. And sometimes I'm trying to lead worship and it wrecks my voice. <laughs> so 
But I know when the presence, when the anointing turns up for something that God's really on and wants to open up and touch in people, I start doing this. It's like electricity going through you. And so um, I am going to ask people to stand in your seats. Thank you, Jesus. We're just going to pray, okay? I don't really know in the next few minutes what we'll be doing exactly because I'm really listening to the Holy Spirit and seeing what he wants to do. Um, But I'm going to pray, Holy Spirit, baptize us with the Holy Spirit, with yourself. (laughs) Immerse us. That's what baptism is. It's full immersion into the Holy Spirit. We ask, baptize us. God, I ask that fire would fall in our hearts. I ask that fire would fall in our hearts and purify and burn away the things that have um, kept us from you or hindered, hindered the relationship with you because you want nothing to hinder it. You want us to move so freely with you. You want us to be so incredibly free, uh, uh, like chains falling off us in the spirit when we let go and when we repent of things. Jesus, I just pray, fall, fall in this place, send fire in this place and burn off and remove the things in us that we highlight things in us that we should be giving over to you, whether it's forgiving people or repenting of things. I pray repentance now. I pray the conviction of the Holy Spirit on people's hearts right now. God, your word says, your face, we are to seek your face. And in the seeking of your face, it's the allowing you to seek into our heart and go deep into the deep places in us so that we can, it can be done out. And God, we give you permission to go deep in us. We give you permission to go deep in our hearts and burn away the things in our lives that you, you, (laughs) you love us anyway, but you want gone because it means freedom and wholeness for us. All right. So we're just going to, um, we're just going to stay still. Right now, I am going to ask you to confess things before the Lord that you you might know already some things that you've held back you might know already some issues that are uh, you've willfully hit on uh, hung on to I'm going to ask you to repent of those things that you already know about right now just repent just send it up to the Lord he hears and the forgiveness and the wholeness and the freedom is immediate so give that stuff up now Jesus we give it up Jesus we give it up I'm also going to pray, Holy Spirit, highlight things in us. Highlight the areas in our life that we need to repent of. I pray right now, bring things to people's memory that they need to just let go of and that maybe hidden things, even from childhood, God. Just allow um, great freedom to come as people are freeing, repenting. Allow great freedom to come on the back of that. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, for the seeking of your face. I pray that that would be the strongest desire in us. I pray, Lord God, show up, show, show people areas, anything. God, I thank you that you, as we repent, you forgive fully, you let go fully, and you don't remember that stuff in us. You don't remember the minute we forgive, we, we repent, or the minute we forgive someone else and then repent for hanging on to unforgiveness. God, out of your memory, you've forgotten. You've sent it as far as the east is from the west away from us. And so God, I thank you. Thank you because you are gentle and you are kind. And it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And we want you. We want more of you in our life. I pray, God, help people right now. I'm going to start naming things and I'm going to stand right now in the place of um, people in our church, but also over our city. Okay. Lord Jesus, I repent. I repent of... um, pride. I repent of religious pride. I repent of, that's the worst kind of all. I pray of religious pride that a person would stand and think that they can represent you in a church pulpit and misrepresent your heart and turn people away from you. I repent of the church for the churches in this city. I repent, Lord God, for um, sexual sin in the church that has existed and really shouldn't. It's it, God, you... <laughs> It creates so much pain in people. So we repent. We repent on behalf of all of the church in this city, Lord God. We stand in place for them and say, us included, we say, Lord God, we repent. We repent for sexual perversion. We repent for pornography. We repent for sexual sin of any kind. Lord God, we repent of gossip. We repent of um, hatred. We repent for people in this city. Any Christian in this city that has held on to resentment in their heart, that has held on to hatred, 
in their heart has allowed a bitter root. God, we repent for those people and we ask God that you would come in and touch their hearts tonight, even while they are Sunday night relaxing, going to sleep and waking up Monday morning. I pray, God, that you'd be causing their heart to repent before you. We repent on their behalf and ask that you would come down and with fire touch their lives. We want revival in our city, Father God. And I pray, Lord, that you would not hold, not let us hold anything back. Cause us to bring great repentance. Cause us to feel strong conviction in our hearts. Strong, strong, godly sorrow over sin. I pray that the repentance in, in this church and all of the churches in this city would be so strong, Father. I repent, Lord God, of the disunity in churches in this city. I repent of the disunity in any church and wherever it has existed. I repent, Lord God, for um, where Christian has stood against Christian and slandered another or slandered another church. We repent on behalf of the church in this city. We repent of idolatry, God. We repent of idolatry in, in all its forms, any form it can come in. A child, a spouse, a friend, uh, a car, TV show, my iPhone, any form of idolatry, God. We just stand in place right now and repent of the idolatry and the things that we do habitually that we don't realise, don't recognise it as separating us from you. We repent of that stuff, Father. We know your word says, do not have any idols among you. And so, Father, I pray, even highlight to things, people, that they need to give up and just give over to you. We repent, Father, of that. We repent of idolising the ministry. We repent of idolising leadership in the church. We repent of idolising opportunity in pulpits in the church. going to just give anybody the opportunity who just really wants to come down here and leave it at the altar. Anybody, for any reason, you could be repenting of something real little, or you could be repenting of a lot of big stuff, and it doesn't matter, because it's all, once it's repented of, it's all covered. I'm going to ask, I'm going to open this up down here, please come down, repent, sing, we're going to keep singing this song, but I really want, please feel free, like come running down here if there's things that have held you back, do not, not come because you're afraid of what other people will think of you. The fear of man is a trap. Thank you. And I'll stand down here myself as example. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.